Hi, y'all. I'm Charlie Daniels, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. And it does. Hi, this is Captain Sig Hansen from The Deadliest Catch, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, everybody, this is Gary Hoey, and you are hanging with my friend John on Iron City Rocks. Hi, everybody. My name is Dick Dale, king of the surf guitar, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Listen to the thunder. Welcome to episode 126 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John. The Iron City Rocks podcast is devoted to promoting Pittsburgh's rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues music scene. Episode 126, we feature guitarist Dick Dale, king of the surf rock. Uh, He'll be coming to Diesel on October 14th to do a show. Uh, Tickets still available. You can go to elcoconcerts.com to pick those up. So, Eric had a chance to talk to him. He does a very, very lengthy interview, uh, finds out a lot about not only the musical uh, aspects of his life, but also martial arts and so many other really cool things. So, we will get to that interview in just a moment, Uh, but first we want to give you a taste of uh, Mr. Dale playing guitar. This is a song I picked especially because I'm a huge Stevie Ray Vaughan fan. This is Dick Dale with Stevie Ray Vaughan doing a track called Pipeline, and then we're going to talk to Dick. Rocks podcast. We have the legendary Dick Dale, the king of the surf guitar. How are you doing today, Dick? Uh, give me a new body and I'll be great. <laughs> I know you're going. You're getting ready to go out on tour tomorrow, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Be a whole month uh, all the way. Uh, the whole month of October. Okay, okay. All the way, all the way back to where I was born in Boston, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. That's good. Do you still have family there? Uh. I don't know what's left of my father's, and well, my mom's side. I think we got one more, one aunt left. Okay. But two aunts left, and but the school chums. Uh, when I left in uh, the eleventh grade, they still come to see me. Oh, that's awesome! That's awesome. Yeah, uh, and the guys that I've ra- I was raised with across the street, you know, back in Quincy. Uh huh. I, you know, we we always keep in touch. So it's it's kind of neat. It's like revisiting the old days, you know. Uh huh. Uh huh. That's really great. Now, what what uh, if you, we could just trace back on your life and your career? You know, what took you from Quincy, Massachusetts, to California to to get involved with surf and surf music and to be such an influence on it? I mean, that's a pretty long answer to that question, I know. But uh, you know, just in general, what what all went on there? 
Well, I started, you know, I've always loved country music and uh, Hank Williams and anything that's country. And then any any music, big band music was my dad. I was listening to my dad's, he'd bring home records. And then I loved Harry James, so I picked up his trumpet and learned how to play the trumpet. I'm self-taught in everything I play. Mm-hmm. So, and the same with my son, Jimmy. And um, In fact, he'll be the drummer and uh, this time instead of the guitar player. Okay. Uh, we've created two new guitars for Fender, acoustic guitars, the Jimmy Dale Signature Acoustic Electric and uh, Kingman, and then the Dick Dale Signature Electric Acoustic Malibu, which is the three-quarter size. Uh-huh. And uh, all made out of the same wood to save trees and uh, all mahogany, and uh, but you can paint it whatever you want and uh, put all kinds of neat things in them. You know, we put double pick guards so you don't scratch the guitar. We put in a Fishman pickup where you can look down and read the notes out of a little glass bubble and while you're tuning it. Oh, wow. We got the Fender Stratocaster neck going into it, and we've only got a three-inch deep body so that you can put your arm and hang it over the guitar without having to stretch out to six to eight inches of a regular acoustic guitar, which gives you Charlie horses in your back. And yes. you only get the quicker the Charlie horses come when you're strumming, because it's unnatural to reach out over a big body like that and start strumming. It pulls on your lats. I agree. And so uh, I said, well, why can't I, you know, why can't I just drop my arm down? And they go, oh, you won't get no sound. It's only three inches. And I says, well, why don't you try making it out of the same wood? <laughs> and and uh, and uh, so, anyhow, uh, okay, hold on one second, please. Sure, sure. I won't be able to, but I'll make sure I'm taking care of. Okay, I'll go. Yes, and wait a minute. I'm talking to agents as. Um, uh, That's okay. And 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 wait a minute. Yes, and we, uh, we we will be there. Thanks again, Dick Dale. I do everything myself. Uh, uh, I do everything myself because. Uh, you know, your product is only as good, number one, as your marketing ability. Yes. Number two, your product is only as good as the people who created it. And, That's correct. And, and it's doing it. So if you're building a house and you would build a house a certain way to your specs, which would be sometimes an overkill, as one would say, because they like to save money, but you want to do it really right. Mm-hmm. first way and if you were to build it that's the way it would be done yes when you hire people to build it they have their own ideas and no matter what you say they start taking shortcuts mm-hmm. and then you have to come back and redo it all yourself yes which I've had to do in, yes. in building houses so uh, you, you, that's the reason why uh, Lana my wife who was a nurse who has saved my life twice uh, from the medical world, uh, when I was right at death's, death's door twice, she's the one who found the problems where they couldn't see it in front of their nose. And uh, so she's with me 24 hours a day, uh, like the angel from heaven that she is. 
That's uh, wonderful. Along, you know, along with her own problems, you know, she has fibromyalgia throughout her body. She has a Hutzel tumor on her throat, on the thyroid, which is a, a death sentence. And and, and our government oh. medical system, they're kicking out, well, two years ago, they were kicking out two and a half million people. Mm-hmm. And, and and they took away her medical. Oh. And, and then when she says, well, why don't you take it away from the people who are not dying? And uh, and they said, oh, we got to get rid of two and a half million people. That's the new uh, rules of the government. Right. Then, now it's five million people. Right, it's so, only going to go up. So we deal with the, our medical things through uh, natural resources. Mm-hmm. And and we're still kicking. I'm still going. Uh, I, as I talk to you, I'm in what they call renal failure, uh, the destruction of my bladders and kidneys from radiation and chemotherapy, uh, the leaks in my body, uh, infected my body for two years, which Lana found uh, after uh, 12 hours of emergency uh, x-raying, and they couldn't find it, and she walked in and pointed out the three fistulas. And then oh, okay. I, and then my eyesight was, I couldn't read the freeway signs anymore. And I'm going, well, I guess I'm getting old. And uh, so I'll go buy some glasses. So they go, buy one and get another one free. So I go down there, and I ended up spending $700. Whoa. <laughs> and just for a sh- sunglasses and being able to see the street signs. And when I put them on, I could see them sharply. Good. And and then I says, Yay. And then all of a sudden, as I'm driving to the next gig, I go, I said, geez, you know, uh, Lana insists I get a blood test because I was getting weak. And so we got the blood test, and they come up and they say, oh, my urologist goes, oh, your blood is great. It's doing fine. Uh, Let's do this and take the tubes out of you, which I had in me for a year. Plus, I wore a bag at the same time, a colostomy. We go home. And she looks, and she makes some facts from the results. She reads them herself, and she goes, oh, my God. She calls him up and goes, did you read his blood? And they go, why, what's the matter? He goes, his blood's supposed to be 80 over 120, and it's over 600, and that's oh. a, and it's a coma, and then you die. Right. And they went, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, get him in the hospital again. Well, we just drove three and a half hours coming from the hospital. And, and and because it's in Beverly Hills and we're up in the high desert, and uh, and she goes, uh, no, we're not going back then. Then she calls the other doctor. And we got about five doctors there. She said, did you get his report? Yeah, we got it today. Well, did you read it? And then all of a sudden, boom, get him in the hospital right away. He can't go on tour. I was getting I was getting ready to leave on tour in two days, uh, on my last Florida tour across the United States. And and uh, and he goes, in fact, he can never play the guitar again. And that's that. And so she goes, he's going on tour, and I, I can't stop him. So you send me these pills to bring his blood down. So they sent the pills. The first two nights I was sitting in a chair on the stage because I was too weak to stand. And we did the concert, and people loved it. And then I started standing, and I stood through the whole concert, and I drove all the way in my new Mercedes Sprinter that uh, we got for the crew, for the band members, and, uh, and drove back to Oklahoma and then got on a plane and flew home. Well, now I'm doing, still doing the concerts and I'm still kicking and we're still drinking our oxygen drops in our water, which cancer cannot live on oxygen. Okay. And so that's what we're doing. And, and so now I decide I'm going to go and do a whole month tour like I, I did 
you know, I've been dealing with the cancer and, 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 uh, and now the uh, diabetes for the last, I've got the blood down to about 200 and uh, for the last four years. Mm-hmm. Well, I said, I'm going to put, I'm just going to do everything myself and call everybody and tell them I'm a coming and, and, uh, and so all of a sudden, here goes the whole month of October, <laughs> booked up solid and uh, we're, we're going to be out there. And, and it's a good thing because it's like uh, uh, I was chosen by the above, I believe, to be the Johnny Appleseed, to show the other people with their same diseases, they all come to me, and with their children, too, and their children that have the diseases. Mm-hmm. And, and we talk about how I do it on stage. Well, I've never had alcohol in my body in my life uh, because being in the martial arts, uh, your body is your temple. Right. And I've, I've never haven't eaten meat in 50-some-odd years, red meat. I, 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 uh, I've never had a, I never had drugs in my body. In fact, in the hospital, I pulled the tubes out because when you take painkillers, it retards healing 50%. So I went through the train of pain for the last for, for two years straight while my body was being infected with holes in my body from radiation. Mm-hmm. So and, and the fluids are, were going into my system. So I should not be here by now, but I believe I'm here to show the people that there is you know, have faith and, 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 and laugh at it. Laughter is the greatest healer there is. Yes. And keep the other crap out of your body, and, uh, and you're going to make it. You, you'll make it. You can fight it. Mm-hmm. There have been many people sent home to die, and I was given three months to live when I was 20, when I had the first cancer. And now oh, okay. I'm four, uh, and I'm still here. Yeah. So you figure that one out. So right. That, to me, performing is nothing but another window in my life because uh, I've never been dedicated to... The only thing I get dedicated to is when I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. If I build a house, I will not bend a nail and cover it with a piece of molding. I'll take the nail out. And my dad would go, I'd go broke if I had to pay it by the hour. <laughs> so, but that's the way I am. And, and with the people, have this faith. And, and and try to help other people. Because, you know, there's no saying, I had the blues because I had no shoes, till upon the street I met a man who had no feet. That's right. So I look at life that way, and they all come to my concerts, bring their children, we sit and we talk after the concert's over, I do the signing, when I and uh, when most people just leave, take the money and go, I don't, I'll stay there another two hours and sign. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and, and that's what it is. My music, uh, when I came to California, I left uh, Massachusetts in, in uh, uh, graduating on my 11th grade. Had to say goodbye to everybody. Came to California with my dad because he got hired by Howard Hughes. Oh, okay. And then I turned around, graduated. And then, uh, of course, I've been a biker all my life. I was the president of the Sultans of Southwest LA. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so we had a biker car club. And uh, I, I had a 1941 WLD flathead Harley. Mm-hmm. They only built 1,200 of them. Came to California, strumming on my makeshift guitar, country songs. Started playing uh, at a at a place called Town Hall Party in Anna, in uh, Compton, California. I played with people like Johnny Cash before he ever wore black. Uh, I, I, Gene Autry was on stage. Freddie Hart, mm-hmm. Lucy Frizzell, uh, yeah. Ernest Tubb. In fact, I just did a record uh, uh, in dedication, uh, asked to do it on for the album of Joe Mafus. 
the king of the double neck guitars in country. And wow. I just did a thing for Glenn Campbell, who used to uh, be a backup guitarist for me uh, when we were recording. Mm-hmm. And, and Glenn is just still performing, and he's, and he's still a sweetheart of a guy. And, uh, and I just one of, did one of his songs on his album, along with people like Chris Isaac and everybody else. Sure. And uh, we, we're just, uh, we're, I'm still doing stuff, you know. I'm doing the commercials. Uh, Renalta's doing one in France right now using my surf buggy. And, uh, and VW just did one in Germany using uh, Mizzaloo. So we, I just came out and started strumming and listening to Gene Cooper as a child. I, I got his rhythms by the way he played on drums. And it was always one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And, and the faster you go, you go, then you go, and that's the way I would strum on the guitar and the way I would conduct any kind of music. I just got through performing with the Fullerton Symphonic Orchestra, which I got a chance to even help Produced the way it was being played, Mizzaloo, and, and, and help it uh, partially conducting with the conductor. I asked his permission first. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was the most unbelievable experience because uh, I loved the violins and the, oh God, the timpanis and, and all that stuff. And yeah. I got through doing that and we performed that to a sold out, sell out crowd. Made me want to put down my to stop performing and just get a job as a conductor <laughs> in a concert, <laughs> you know, with a symphony. And and that was incredible. So, yeah. you know, there's so many beautiful things. Uh, in this future coming up, I am going to be doing uh, a CD which will encompass some beautiful country songs that I've loved all my life and that I used to sing to my mother. And... Uh, and my dad would always say, why don't you do a country album? Why don't you do a country album? <laughs> so I'm going to produce something like that, along with some of the other uh, powerful stuff that we do. But mm-hmm. there's going to be, uh, like my last one that I did called, uh, uh, I'm getting an elderly moment where everything stops, uh, Spatial Disorientation, Spatial Disorientation. That one had an array of every style you could think of from the heavy motion picture theme song type stuff to the Latino stuff done with uh, like uh, Antonio Banderas feeling and uh, the last five songs were done with an acoustic guitar and the last song was Silent Night and very very haunting rendition beautiful and and then even a song like me singing like Barry White you know and, uh, <laughs> and with the background girls singing like the Go-Go's yeah. There was a mixture of everything on that CD. So when, you know, an, uh, an elderly person, a uh, little lady would buy it, she would say, well, I want something by Dick Dale. What should I listen to? And I go, well, listen to this number, this number, this number. It'll make you it'll make you just ooh, sigh, you know. Uh, don't <laughs> listen to this number because it'll make your ears bleed, you know. <laughs> so, you know so something it, for everyone. Yeah, and, and that's the way I've always been. And... Um, I started surfing uh, immediately. Uh, well, when I moved in down to the beach, I rode my motorcycle down to Belvoir, Newport Beach, and started uh, uh, surfing. There was a big ballroom down there, and then I was able to open, reopen the ballroom where every big band, Stan Kenton, and had, had ever played. In fact, my son and I just did dueling guitars with the two new guitars we created with Fender and uh, sold out the Aragon Ballroom, uh, uh, the uh, 
the casino ballroom uh, on uh, Avalon in Catalina, where mm -hmm. every big band has ever played. And uh, I was part of the DVD history of it, uh, in, in it also, from the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. um, that was a beautiful thing that we've done. And we do, my son and I just did, you know, over 25 concerts all the way to Canada and back, just doing dueling guitars, the, the, the two new Fender uh, acoustic guitars that we created. You can see what they are if you just get on Google and hit Dick Dale uh, Fender acoustic guitars and then hit Jimmy Dale Fender acoustic guitars. Mm -hmm. You'll see them. And they yeah. sold. We've been all over the world with that, Germany, everywhere. And we've been, uh, my Lord, uh, Fender did over 90-some-odd thousand dollars in the first quarter, another 190000 in the second quarter. They're just selling them like hotcakes because... The people are enjoying the fact that they can just sit down and let their arm drop over a three-inch body guitar and play it all day without getting any back pain. I would like to hook one of those up, I think, yeah. <laughs> that would be I'm, great. Oh, I, I will never touch another uh, acoustic guitar again. Uh, that, that's the only kind I'll play. And I've been screaming for them to do this for the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't. nobody would do it. They said, well, you're not going to get any sound. And I said, let me tell you. Uh, the, the 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 song sound likes to follow the molecular structure of any piece of material. Sure. And so say they always build guitars out of two woods, the, the acoustics to make it look pretty on top. Right. Well, say they build the back out of a mahogany or a rosewood or whatever, and the sides out of the same wood. But when they come to the top, they want to change the color, so they'll use a different kind of wood. They can right. use cherry. They can use pine. They could use anything. Well, everything has molecules. Sure. So when you strum a note, it wants to follow the molecule of that wood, and it wants to continue to go like a tsunami wave, being uninterrupted. So right. when it starts on the back and starts traveling to the back and going up the side and going up to the top of the guitar so that it can make a complete circle undisturbed, it gets disturbed because the molecule is a different size and shape on the wood on top. Right. And, never, and they never think of this. Because the period of the wave. when you strum a guitar, you can still hear the string, no matter how many woods you use. Sure. But you will not hear the the perfect, undisturbed color of the sound mm -hmm. because it's the same wood. So I told them, build it out of mahogany. So they did. When I strummed that three-quarter size guitar because I built it because I wanted it to be in a car when you're traveling. Mm -hmm. When I strummed it in front of the technicians, their mouths dropped when they heard the, the volume of, and the crispness and of that sound. And I said, see, gentlemen, the world is no longer flat. Yep. And th that's the whole thing in a nutshell. And they could not believe it with a three-inch body, the sound that came out of that guitar being with the same wood. Plus... Greenpeace time, we're saving trees. We're not cutting down two different trees for two different woods. Right, you're making better use of it. We're making one tree. Yep. And uh, for one wood. Mm -hmm. So this, you know, I'm, I'm noted for in the history of music for, you know, not only, you know, creating a style of music, but, the, uh, and that style came from Gene Krupa. It's, it's, it's nothing but... Uh, an application of the accentuation of the uh, 
the pulsation of the music. No matter whether you play it fast or you play it slow, it's always done on the one. And it came from the indigenous indigenous people from the tribes, and that's where Gene Cooper got his rhythms from. Okay. And and even everything from the Aborigine that I've played for, and they've given me their stick paintings and sand paintings, and 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 even the Zulus, whenever they hit the ground with their stick, it's always on the one, their spear. It's boom. Boom, and that's how they dance. Mm-hmm. So that is tribal, and the the Earthling people are tribal. We all will bounce our foot the same way, but musicians play to musicians, so they play yep. on the offbeat. Yep. And if you don't believe me, watch them when they have the audience clap to a song that they sing. And they'll go, everybody follow me. And they'll go like this. Well, the games people play now. Every night, every day now. Now, when they stop singing, watch what happens to the audience hand clap. They go like this. Oh, the games people play now. Every night and every day now. Yeah, they're off. They play on the on beat. Mm -hmm. Well, the games people play. One and two and three. And... That's why even the history of music with symphonic orchestras uh, accent on the same beat that the indigenous people did and that the regular people do. They use a baton and they go, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three. And when they swing their baton. So, you know, why fix it if it ain't broke, stupid? But musicians love to try to impress other musicians. Right. They play on the offbeat. So I don't. That's why I have so many different people coming to my concerts of ages, of races, of everything, from five years old to 105, because I play on the one, which they can relate to. And I once had a couple of guitar players of heavy metal players come to me and say, man, that's the first time I ever heard real speed played where I could hear every note. Mm-hmm. And I said, because everybody else sounds like oatmeal. And yeah. Because they do not accentuate. And what he could hear was the accentuation in his body. That's why. So... You know, that that's a whole science of music in itself. And sure. then I, oh, yeah. I went on to create, with Leo Fender, the, the forwardization of amplifiers and speakers, uh, getting them bigger and bigger and bigger. I wanted them to sound like Gene Cooper's drums. And nobody ever had done that before. And right, all, and you would blow his amps up, right? Didn't you had to, he had to design them bigger? He, 50 amps, he said to me, why do you have to play so loud? But he came and he finally came and stood in the middle of 4,000 people at the rendezvous ballroom and he said, now I know what Dick's trying to tell me. Because mm-hmm. people's bodies soaked up the sound. We didn't use microphones in front of speakers then. We yeah. used the amplifiers to produce their own sound and volume. Mm-hmm. So we needed to have an output transformer that would do that. And he created it. So going from a 10 to a 15-watt output transformer that everybody would use and a 6- and 8-inch speaker, 
He created the first 85-watt output transformer, peaking 100 watts using these 5881 tubes with the gas bills in it. And then I needed to put a bigger speaker. We created the speaker from Lansing, JBL 15-inch Lansing, with that 11-pound magnet on the back. And then I wanted to put two in there, so he had to change the output transformer to from, from 8 ohms to 4 ohms. And that was the first 100-watt output transformer, peaking 180 watts. And that's like going from a little push-pedal cart to a to a Testarossa. So um, that's what Dick Dale was known for now in the archives of music uh, uh, with Leo Fender, uh, doing the music breakthrough of electronics and speakers. And that's what we did. And then now, after 20 years of screaming, we've done another breakthrough with the three-inch body hollow uh, electric acoustic guitar with dual pick guards and uh, three-inch Fishman uh, pickup on it. And uh, you can change the modes of tones with it, and you can read the notes while you tune it. And then with the Fender Stratocaster neck, part of it. You know. Mm-hmm. Sure. So that's part of it all. Mm-hmm. How did the how did the whole surfing how did surfing figure into the whole? The surf style came they came, it it came from me surfing and as I was surfing, the opening night, the guys that we we belong we had a surf club, <clears throat> and uh, about seventeen guys, and um, I said I'm playing at the Rendezvous Ballroom tonight. You want to come? And they came down, and the way that I was playing strumming like the Gene Cooper style. And at the same time, I was raising, God, I had 30 to 40 species of animals from all over the world, lions, tigers, apes, eagles, falcons, every every name you could think of to, to preserve the breed uh, of from being killed from poachers. Uh-huh. So I wanted to live their lives out. So I had them all. I had Jesus. Where, I had, where, were, you do, where were you doing that? I had about a dozen of them at my beach house, first of all. Oh, wow. All illegal. And then, of course, I had acreage that I got later, and I had them on my acres, and where they they were not just confined to a small cage. I mean, I would sleep with my lions, and then uh, all the, I, there's pictures of them on my webpage. Um, you know, and then I just had a complete uh, compound. And even now, where I live, uh, up in the high desert, you know, I've got about close to 100 acres. It's a private airport, but we're 2,000 feet above Palm Springs, California. Uh, my wife, Lana, for the last year, she goes out and calls. She goes, Koi, 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 Koi. She names one of them Koi. And the coyotes come out of the desert from invisibility. They just come out of nowhere. She's got about nine of them, and uh, they come to her. And she and they trust her, and uh, we've made a special watering for them that where they can just wiggle the, the water maker and they drink from it. Mm-hmm. And uh, she feeds them. They're, they they wait for her 24 hours a day. Three wow. o'clock, morning, three o'clock in the morning, they're they're pacing, mm-hmm. waiting for her to come out. And she'll she'll go out there and she'll talk to them and so and they'll be about 10 feet away from her. So oh my! Five feet away from her. And there's nine of them that circle around her. 
And I've mm-hmm. got pictures of them that I send to some of my friends, you know, and they just go nuts when they see it. <laughs> yeah, that's something else. So, when, anyway, so the kids came to see me play, and they goes, oh, my God, man, you're the king. You're the king, man. You're the king of the surf guitar, man. <laughs> because I was surfing with them. Mm-hmm. And then, but I was actually imitating the sound, the rhythm. I was actually playing the rhythm of Gene Krupa, and I was actually imitating the sounds of my mountain lions and my lions and tigers when they would call to me. Uh, my elephant would go, wow, when he saw me, or my mountain lion would scream out, and my African lion, when he wanted to be fed, he'd go, like that, every day at 530. Uh-huh. So I imitate all those sounds on my big strings, and and I played on strings that they call telephone wires because most people played on six, seven, eight, nine gauge. Sure. I hit my highest gauge is a sixty gauge, and they call them telephone wires. Yeah. They go, don't you worry that'll bend your neck? And I goes, I don't care. I just push down on them. I'm not one of these scientifical players. And uh, I, I make my guitar scream with pain or pleasure, or sound like my animals, or and then sound like a wave that I'm caught in. Uh, and being eaten up and spit out, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. so I imitated the sounds, really, first of all, from Gene Krupa, the rhythm from Gene Krupa. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's why the floor toms are the drums. That was my, you know, my first instrument, drums. And then keyboard is my favorite. I used to play to my mother all the time, all pretty Latino songs and old-time songs. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and Lana and I love the old-time big band music together, and we love the Patsy Klein's and all that. And uh, then I get on stage, and I rip where in Spain I'm put on the cover of their heavy metal magazine as the number one concert in 500 concerts for the year. And they call me uh, the father of heavy metal. Why? Because I'm playing on heavy-gauge strings, and my they say my sound sounds like uh, two uh, locomotives colliding. Mm-hmm. Um, they they have all these different different uh, explanations for it, you know. Sure. You know, uh, they say it sounds like you're throwing uh, Molotov cocktails against the wall and watching it drip down the wall and stuff like that. They have all their their different sayings. Sure, sure. But the point is, you know, I love beautiful music and and I love pretty pretty sounds and. And Lana and I are both hopeless romantics. And uh, so whenever I write songs, um, it's usually a romantic type of ballad type, like uh, like either a country song or a song like when I was in uh, uh, Bella Horizonte in South America. I wrote the song called Bella Horizonte. Can I tell you I love you by the words that I write? And then you can hear angels in the background singing. And mm-hmm. then I'll play I'll play the mariachi trumpets in the background, three-part harmony. So little, you can hear them. I love the Harry James trumpet when he makes it uh, cry. You know, he slurs a lot. So I've always done that. I play like Louis Armstrong. I, I, when I play the sax, I play like Joe Houston. When I play the, the, the harmonica, uh, I use a chromatic and I do boogie-woogie with the chromatic harmonica. And so, and I do drum solos with my son on stage, or my drummer, who's ever going to be the drummer at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, but they all get trained the way my philosophy is on how to play their instruments, and everything is on the one. So they have to go through the Dick Dale School of Pain, <laughs> you know, first if they're going to work with me. 
Because I guess there's quite a few that don't make the cut, right? Right, because they just don't understand it, and uh, uh, they, they they were raised with so so many bad habits, and uh, so and that's it. But the ones that are with me, you can be well assured, they understand the system and what it's all about. I had a bass player say it took him four years to really understand what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, people just, they learn to get on an instrument to try to impress people and not learn really what the instrument is, how to strum an instrument. Right. There are so many people that just don't. I, I get people coming to me that are taking lessons for two or three years on the piano, on the guitars, everything, and they hate it. And because people who are teaching, they want to make money and have you keep coming back, so they teach you the the theory of the music, of music theory, and teaching you all these scales. You don't need to learn all that stuff. If you want to learn scales and sight read, then you want to be a musical person who goes in for the recording studios to be sidemen. But when you want something done, now you hire these kind of people because they listen to the music and they write it down and they'll play it exactly the way you want it. And that's the reason why many bands or many artists uh, hire studio musicians because the bands that play with them don't play the same way every single time. Right. And they cannot play what you call on a click track. Mm-hmm. You want to add an overlay on something else. It never matches. But if you are trained with a click track, you can hire anybody to come in to overlay a violin or anything because they'll have perfect timing. Sure. So th- that's the thing in a nutshell that people, they don't, you know, really... I I can take these people that have gone through these lessons that they've been going through and teach them how to play a song in one day all the way through on the piano, using both hands, and also even singing the song. And the same way with... I've had these kids tell 13-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 15-year-olds... Say, Daddy, I don't want to go back to my teacher. I don't want to go back to my teacher. I, I, my God, I look at me. I'm playing a song. And yeah. it, it's just the way you teach, the patience that you have. I took a girl. It was her uh, 20th birthday or something like that. I had, I had met her. She was selling candy and told me how she loved the piano. But she'd never learned how to play the piano. I says, well, I says, I see you every week. Every time I go to the movies, I says, if you get a day off, stop by and teach out a piano, play the piano. She came down 10 o'clock in the morning, sat around the piano. I asked her to do some rhythm, uh, you know, just some moves on the piano. I said, here, copy this. Duh, 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 duh. And when she did it, I said, oh, my God, what did I do? She's got two left feet, you know. She just can't, she has no rhythm, nothing. So I just went down another road to teach her. All right, let's let's do it this way. You know, where teachers won't do that, they'll yell and scream at you. Right. Make, make you feel inferior. Well, I don't do that. I just find another way to teach them. I go down another road. At the end of the day, at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, she
she was singing, cheating hard, all the way through, and she goes, well, can I just do one hand? I said, no, you're going to do both right now. You're going to do it this way. And I had her do both hands, down, 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 and she played the bass part on her left hand, and she played the lead on her right hand. At 5 o'clock in the afternoon, she was singing that over the microphone <clears throat> to her grandparents, and they were saying, who you been taking lessons from? We didn't know about that. How much is it costing? And she goes, hmm. oh, I just learned it today. <laughs> Nice. From Dick Dale. And That's great. So, you know, uh, uh, there isn't anybody, you know, I've had a person that was considered the wanting to play the bass guitar, and it, it was bought by their parents, giving them to them while they were in school, in high school. And when they tried to play it, you know what the teacher, music teacher told them? What's that? Take the bass, put it in the case that your father got it, and then take it back to the store and give it to them and get your money back. Wow. Yeah. I took that person and I said, you still have the bass? He said, yeah, I never took it back. He said, bring it over here. I had him playing bass all in one day. Mm-hmm. So, and the person was tone deaf, yes. But I taught him how to do it in a different way about right. how to count and how to recognize the change. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are so many ways to, as they say, skin a cat or build a house mm-hmm. and, and you know music is just one of these wonderful gifts that people can take if they don't abuse it let me ask you let me ask you about uh, as a parent you know and, and with you and Jimmy how how easy was that to bring him up in music like did was did it come easy to him or did you have to really struggle for a while until he got it was that you know was that an easy thing it was like my ex-wife used to say, we have ways of making you learn. <laughs> she was like, because I was very hard on him, too, because I knew he had such a gifted talent and to stop loafing and to really pay attention. Mm-hmm. And And yes, I got in his face many times on everything he ever did. I mean, he leaps motorcycles now. He was... He was on the all-star baseball team, all-star basketball team, all-star football team. Uh, he was always uh, better than average. Like, I've always been better than average in doing stuff. And, in fact, I asked one of my masters one day. I've been with monks. I've been with a lot of undergrounds. I said, Master, why can't I be the best of something and be unbeatable in life? Nobody can beat me. And he says, you can, Grasshopper. And he says, but you would have to give up everything in life to achieve this. And you could eat it, breathe it, and sleep it. That's all. That's all what you have to do. Right. But he says, answer me this. Would you rather be a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, than master of one? Right. If you are master of one, You'd be awfully dull at a gathering, wouldn't you? Yep. And it's just like Einstein. You know, he couldn't talk about plumbing or, you know, painting or whatever. Right. So the the point lies is I chose to be a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, where I, whenever I do something, I do it on a scale of 1 to 10. I do it on a 15. Like I said, I won't bend a nail and cover it with a piece of molding. 
Sure. Um, because I know when I walk by there, it's there. Mm-hmm. Somebody else might not, but I know. So that means I cheated. So I don't do that. Mm-hmm. So Jimmy's the same way. He would lay underneath the piano while I play Exodus. Uh, uh, Dr. Chivago, uh one of the other songs I would write. And when I played Exodus, he goes, Dad, who wrote that? That guy's a genius. That guy's a genius. I would get up and leave the piano, and he'd be on the piano playing it after mm-hmm. he practiced it himself. He would play it exactly the way I would play. Then he would change it because he wanted to be like himself and to add different things to it. When I taught sure. him drums, he was playing 12 and a half months old. Wow. I taught him the martial arts. He was doing a board break when he was seven years old. Yeah. He was, he was only 50 pounds. <laughs> putting that little fist straight through a one-inch board. But he's the one who begged me to do it. I normally would never have a kid do it at that age because the bones are not formed right. Mm -hmm. But he learned how to focus and speed properly and breathe. So I let him do it, and I was petrified when he was ready to do it. Mm -hmm. But he went right through that board and put a hole in my chest. (laughs) So, and... Things like that. So when I taught him on drums, he that's his favorite, but he plays the guitar, matches me. When we play together, we do Latino stuff and all the surf stuff or whatever you want to call it. I, I, the detailed style. It, it's like one person playing. You cannot hear the, 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 the decipher of notes striking. It's just like two people playing and you hear one. And it's amazing and the people freak out when they hear it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why we do those kind of concerts also. Sure. But, does, does Jimmy play on his own? Does he, uh, like, tour solo or anything like that? Oh, no, no, no. He doesn't do that at this point in his life. Uh-huh. Uh, he's, he's, he's toured as a drummer for uh, another a band, and uh, but he makes more money when he plays with me, so he'd rather go with me. Sure, sure. And I'd rather have him go with me also because he can play drums for any big band right now or he can play drums for any heavy metal band that there is out there right now. Sure. He was doing seminars when he was like seven years old. Mm-hmm. And that's how much, how quick he learned. And he took the Gene Krupa method and used it as a foundation. And then he added all the heavy metal drumming on top of it. So it's, it's, um, it's not like a father being taught of a son. It's like saying, what is wrong with this picture? Uh, I never look at him as my son when he performs. I look at him as an item. And uh, and that's why when I trained him in the martial arts, I said, I am not your father. And uh, when I strike you and you get hit, you'll learn to block it. And uh, so I trained him full contact, like in mm-hmm. street fighting technique. And so what happened would be that now... When he plays, uh, he has learned that. I've had drummers work for me that had the fastest hands you ever heard, but they sound like oatmeal. But when Jimmy plays, he plays with the same beat that I just got through showing you in my mouth. Mm-hmm. And the other guys always go out of meter, and he never goes out of meter. If yeah. you drop the stick, he'll come right back up and go straight into it because he follows the same thing that the, the symphonic conductors use with a baton. 
And that's the way. In the Shaolin Temple, they never allow you to touch the skin of a drum for five years until you can tongue what you're going to strike, what you're going to play. That's why you got this tick 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 And I taught him that method. In the beginning, it was very difficult for him, but then he's learned it. So he plays with me now, and mainly, too, because he could go in with any of these bands, but I've discouraged when they call to have him play with them because I don't want to see him riding down the street in the same vehicle where other people are doing drugs. Right. And and smoking and everything else like that. Sure. And, they, and then they also have to sleep together in the same motel rooms. I yeah. want to be in that environment. Sure. So I'm very strict with my men. There's no booze allowed in the dressing rooms, no smoking, and definitely no drugs. Mm-hmm. So I see on your website that you're looking for some uh, some roadies who uh, meet those qualifications, correct? That's right. I always uh, have that thing out so that in case I need to call people and I have other people, uh, I can call them. It's probably not as easy as you think to find, <laughs> find no. that kind of people too, right? No, that's exactly right. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah, sadly. But well, I... Um, I, you know, I'm a stickler for that. I'll drive the damn truck and load it myself if that's the case. Well, yeah, you hear about crazy stuff like the guy who was the who drove the truck for Steely Dan. You know, I forget his name, but he ran it into a overhang or something, and he was notoriously. You know, there was he's not the only one, but that's the one I. Was happened, I that's happened to me. Oh yeah. Yeah, with one of my drivers doing that. Mm-hmm. It went into a, uh, one of those drive-throughs. And, yeah. Uh, and took off the top of the roof. Oh, yeah, that'd be horrendous. Oh, yeah, I you, go, what the hell are you thinking? Yeah, ruin your tour, you know, you don't want that. But you need guys that think and, you know, oh, it's very strict on that, too. Mm-hmm. They're going to have Absolutely. a checklist and everything like that and do the checklist, otherwise they're leaving microphones behind, they're leaving clothing behind, they're leaving, they're leaving doors open so people can steal the stuff. Sure, yeah, that's another thing that happens a lot, yeah. Oh, Absolutely. you know... You, you, you know you know, you just got to be on top of everything. Yep, definitely, and I know that you are. Well, I try. Well, Dick, I try. You do. Um, it sounds like you're doing a great job. Well, Dick, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I know you're packing for your trip and getting ready to go on tour tomorrow, so um, but I know you're coming to our town on uh, October 14th to Diesel, and I, I hope to make it there. I've seen you in, in uh, West Virginia, and it was amazing. I hope to come back again. Well, that's it. it's going to be fun. Yeah, uh, you know it's Definitely. like uh, I have a saying: wherever I go is where I'm at. Yeah, so that's right. That's basically what it is, and it's like the same people coming back to see me, and it's like family. It's like family. Mhm. Definitely. Well, nice talking to you, Dick. It was very interesting, and uh, you're definitely an interesting person to. Uh, talk to. I, I wish I could talk to you longer, but I, I hope you have a safe trip and a great tour, and uh, we appreciate uh, you taking the time. Okay.
I always wanted to learn to play guitar, but never had the time. Then I heard about Progressions Music Studio. Progressions introduced me to an entirely new and convenient method of music instruction. They brought the music to me. The instructors from Progressions Music Studio came to my home with their knowledge and expertise, which saved me time and money. They worked around my schedule and tailored a program around my needs and skill level. Best of all, I learned to play music like a guitar king of the 1960s. We didn't spend all of our time with drills or tunes from the 1860s. Progressions Music Studio offers a lot more than guitar. In fact, they have instructors for almost all instruments. Now I can rock it out on my electric like never before. Just imagine what they can do for you or the budding musician in your family. Don't make excuses. Make music. Check them out on the web at progressionsmusicstudio.com. That's P-R-O-G-R-E-S-S-I-O-N-S, musicstudio.com. Or call 724-777-4678.
Alright, the track you just heard was from a band called Paradox Please with a song called Reality Check. You can check them out on Facebook. Just search for Paradox Please. You'll find all about those guys. Now we're going to get into part six of our producer series with Tony from Total Music and Entertainment. Aaron and Tony talk at great length about the term mastering. I know many of you out there have probably bought a remastered album over the years. I think every artist under the sun that made an album before 1990 has remastered an album. Even bands like Nirvana are uh, re-releasing remastered versions of Nevermind. So, what the heck is mastering? I'll be honest with you, I have no idea. So this is going to be an education for me as well. So we're going to go to Aaron and Tony talking about mastering. Alright, so let's talk about mastering now. So what is the overall goal of the mastering process? What do we want to do with this? Well, the mastering process is, again, what you want to do with the product. Is it for radio, television, film, um, or maybe like a specialized application? Uh, So the master would have to know how to fit that certain situation. Uh, If you are a band and you've just uh, mixed down a song, and you want it to be on the radio, you would send it to the mastering facility and say, we want this to be mixed down so it's radio friendly. And that person would make sure that your peaks were where they needed to be, that your RMS, that's basically the middle of the, uh, of the song, is where it needs to be, and then uh, that it sounds right. The bass is where it needs to be. The mid is where it needs to be, and that the treble is where it needs to be. A lot of people uh, will think that the mastering process can bring things out, and it can to a degree, but if the vocal is way too far back in the mix and you need the mastering facility to to bring that up, there's going to be other things that are going to be brought up as well that might not be as uh, desirable because they're in the same frequency range as the vocals. You can't magically go in there, grab the vocal, and bring it up because you don't have the multi-tracks at that point. You're just dealing with a left and right program, and you're enhancing what you can, and you're decreasing whatever would be uh, undesired. So how, um, how should a band go about choosing a mastering engineer then? Well, it, again, it goes on experience. You really want this part to be right because... Um, at this point, you're going to be spending you know, extra money that you normally wouldn't spend. I wouldn't master a project unless it was going to radio, going to a CD plant, going to TV. Uh, if you're just demoing something out, you just want it to be mixed down at a high enough level to where they can hear it. The mastering process will make or break you because I've had a lot of bands with great material send it to the local radio stations in town And they can't use it because it's not loud enough. So that band goes to a mastering facility, and that mastering engineer will make it loud enough. So you really want somebody who's got experience doing what you're trying to do. Are you mastering your song for TV, for motion picture? You want to use somebody who has that kind of experience because those sonic demands are going to be different than radio. Uh, So you definitely want somebody who's got experience in what you're trying to release your product as. Okay. Now, you brought up something very interesting, talking about mastering and the whole radio thing, saying that it wouldn't be loud enough if it wasn't mastered. 
Now, something that I've heard a lot about lately um, has been the loudness wars and that we've lost a lot of dynamics in our music. Oh, yeah. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit and how to avoid that? Well, unfortunately, you can't really avoid it because it's become a, a plague that, that you just really can't end. Um, to explain this, I mean, you would actually have to be looking at a waveform on your computer screen to actually understand it. But a waveform is that squiggly line of your sound. Um, have you ever seen that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, okay. I've, actually, I've actually taken like a Led Zeppelin track from back in the day and put it against like something that was a brand new release, and you could totally see the difference. Oh, yeah, I, big time. I know where you're going with this. Yeah, so big time. So within that squiggly line, you have basically t- two parts. You have your peaks, which is the lines that go all the way up and all the way down. Those are your mm-hmm. peaks. The loudness comes from the middle part of the wave, and that's called your, uh, your RMS. Your RMS will determine how loud your song is. Um, basically, radio nowadays, especially rock, is up to what's called negative six. That's pretty loud. So that middle part of your waveform, um, if you ran it through an analyzing program, uh, would tell you what your RMS is. If your RMS is anywhere from negative uh, 12 down, you're not going to get heard on the radio no matter how good your song is. And you might get it on some Sunday uh, night program in the middle of the night somewhere or something like that. But to be on mainstream radio, you want your mix to be uh, the RMS portion to be between negative 9 and negative 6 or louder. Uh, there's a song from Stained, if anybody's into them. This song called For You. Mm-hmm. It's actually zero. <laughs> I mean, that's how loud that song is. If anybody's ever heard that song, play it. That's probably the loudest song that I've heard or could analyze. Um, you don't want your song to be that loud if it doesn't have to be that loud. But what happens is the dynamics go away when you go to the mastering facility. They increase the RMS to bring it up to radio standards. Well, when you bring the RMS up, you're taking away the dynamics, the Dynamics is the difference between the loudest and the softest. So when you're bringing up the softest, you're losing dynamics. So something to help out the mastering engineer then would be in the mixing process to leave the compression off. Because I, I, I see a lot of bands, you know, myself included, that when I do my own little projects at home, will put, um, you know, do the mix and then put compression on it to kind of bring, bring up some soft parts and that sort of thing. So if I'm going to go to mastering, I should probably leave that off then. Would that be correct? Well, you don't have to leave it off, but minimize it. You know, uh, just do it to where the effects of what you're trying to compress are just to what you need it to do, and then let the mastering engineer do the rest. Uh, you don't want to over-compress, but you don't want to not use it because sometimes your drums will come out on uneven and the mastering engineer won't be able to fix that you know in fact it'll come out clearer that the drums are uneven after it's been through the mastering so you want to keep uh post-production that means after you have recorded it compression limiters anything like that you want to keep them very very minimal at that point okay well tony i want to thank you very much for your time today um as usual this has been highly highly informational I'm hoping our listeners enjoy this as much as I have. And boy, have I picked up a lot of stuff today. 
Well, you're very welcome, man. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate what you guys are doing with uh, with my hometown. And uh, hopefully uh, somebody out there is getting their learn on. All right. Special thanks to Tony and also the legendary Dick Dale for coming on the show and uh, give us an education. Uh, Tony, uh, with a phenomenal explanation of the mastering concept and Dick Dale uh, really giving us, wow, just about everything you ever needed to know about Dick Dale. So, again, he's going to be in town on the 14th of October to play Diesel. Go to elcoconcerts.com to pick up tickets, and we will join you next time when we'll be featuring the band Opeth and Catatonia, who will be coming in to do a show uh, later in the month. So be sure to check that out. You can find more information about us at ironcityrocks.com or Twitter forward slash ironcityrocks. Facebook is forward slash ironcityrocks. YouTube's forward slash ironcityrocks. So plenty of ways to get a hold of us. If you're a band, Looking to get on the show, it's ironcityrocks at gmail.com. We are looking for bands that may have a Christmas recording as we get closer to that time of the year. And uh, really, any bands that are out there, you've got a demo uh, of decent quality, a live recording of decent quality, we'd love to get some live local music on the show. So give us an email and uh, we'll get in, uh, get it on the show for you. We'd like to thank you all for listening. We want to remind you also, if you go to ironcityrocks forward slash contest, we are giving away tickets to see Five Finger Death Punch, who will be coming to Stage AE, along with Hate Breed, All Shall Perish, and uh, I believe there's one other band on that bill. So, four bands for the price of, well, nothing in that case. So, ironcityrocks.com forward slash contest. Also, invite you to check out uh, on our Facebook page, there's links, uh, two articles that I've recently written for guitarworld.com. Um, trying to bring the music of Pittsburgh to the masses. Interview with Pittsburgh's Nick Katniece uh, that I did about two weeks ago, and more recently, Mark Anthony of the band The Letter Black, which, uh, oddly enough, hail from Uniontown, PA, which is just a few miles from where I live. So had a chance to talk to both of those guys. Guitar World uh, picked up those interviews, and you can check them out there. Those are exclusive Guitar World-only interviews so you want to check those out and uh, learn a little bit more about both of those guys as musicians and players uh the interviews on this show we do talk a little tech and a little guitar uh but these are a little more focused so if you're a you know gearhead and things like that i invite you to check that out and speaking of gear signal to noise.fm that's all spelled out there are no numbers dashes hyphen signal to noise fm uh, Sister Station, uh, they have just released episode three, a phenomenal talk with uh, Wookie, who uh, I'll, you'll figure out who that is when you listen to the show. Wookie uh, was a roadie for many years, um, has done a, just about everything there is uh, in the world of music, uh, in traveling, touring, things like that. He has uh, worked with Metallica, Cheap Trick, and many others. Uh, also works for a company now called Tone Pros, which makes some guitar parts. So check out Signal to Noise. It's a show all about gear. So if you're a, a gear nut like most musicians are, uh, show for you. And also invite you to check out Radioactive Metal. You can go to ironcityrocks.com forward slash radioactive metal. Again, that's all spelled out. Uh, Snowy and Rock. Uh, great conversations every week. They put uh, 90 minutes or so of, of conversation. Again, uh, two guys who have who've been in the metal world for quite a while, and, and they know their stuff. They are, uh, tend to lean toward heavier stuff, even heavier than we do. But um, for those of you out there that like that kind of stuff, uh, they're your guys. They're uh, 
have had some great interviews recently with the band Arch Enemy, which I know are very popular, so you want to check that out as well. Again, ironcityrocks.com forward slash radioactive metal. And want to invite you uh, to keep listening. There's going to be a big announcement coming on 11-11-11 regarding The Ring. What is The Ring? We'll find out then. <laughs> 